Hi folks, Wooden Boat Dan here. Just wanted to give you a heads up. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded several years ago. So some of the phone numbers, email addresses, website, links, and time-sensitive information are no longer valid. Please keep that in mind as you listen. If you'd like to contact me, my email address is woodenboatdan at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Hooked on Wooden Boats weekly podcast episode number 13. I am your host Dan Matson, and this is the world's very, very first podcast fully dedicated to celebrating the art, craft, history, and tradition of wooden boats. Well folks, it's uh, 10 days before Christmas and recording uh, episode number 13 today. It's great to have you back with us, with me. Nobody else here but me right now, and I'm having a lot of fun with this as usual. In today's uh, featured segment, I have an interview with Larry Cheek. Larry's got an interesting story, which you'll hear today. It's about 38 minutes long. The way I met Larry was I had scheduled an interview on Whidbey Island with Brad Rice, the boat right, and I wanted to... Uh, schedule a second interview on Whidbey Island because it's a little bit of a drive for me. So I googled wooden boat Whidbey Island and up came Larry's name and uh, Larry's got his own website which I'll put on the uh, links on the website and he's an author and a journalist first uh, but he's also started building boats wooden boats a few years ago and he's written a book about it so stay tuned for that you won't want to miss it. Just a reminder, this is a weekly show that's about 30 to 60 minutes in length. I publish it every Thursday uh, by the end of the day. And uh, the number of downloads and people going to the website is increasing every month, so that's pretty exciting. That means uh, somebody out there is going and listening and enjoying this podcast, so that's cool. takes a little bit of work to do this, but I love doing it because I love wooden boats. As far as connecting with me... Uh, you can go to my website at hookedonwoodenboats.com, and each week I post some notes in there about the podcast that I do, kind of like a blog post, and I have pictures, and there's a player button so you can uh, listen to the podcast uh, right from the website. You can also go to iTunes to subscribe to the podcast. There's an RSS button on my site also that you can use to subscribe. You can email me at dan at hookedonwoodenboats.com. On Twitter, uh, woodenboatdan, twitter.com, woodenboatdan. And on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash woodenboatdan. I also have a voicemail feedback hotline at 424-261-2360. And on my website, I have an email subscription list. If you'd like to subscribe to that list, uh, all I ask for is your first and last name and your email address and your mother's maiden name. No, I'm just kidding. I don't ask for that. <laughs> Real basic information. And then I spend I send out special mailings to that group of people uh, once or twice a month, an article or a video uh, other resources 
And it's a way for me to connect directly with people because everybody's got a different story about wooden boats. And I'd love to hear your story and see pictures of your boats. So uh, please go there and subscribe to my email list if you would. Uh, last week I talked about what my next boat building project is going to be. And I mentioned several boats. And I think I've got it narrowed down to two boats now. The goal here is to get a real light canoe or kayak style boat that I can throw on top of my car and sit in it uh, on the bottom of the boat and paddle. Something that's pretty light, uh, that looks good and uh, performs well in the water. I'm not looking for a performance kayak type of thing because to me Greenland rolling doesn't look too fun. (laughs) But anyway, I've kind of got it narrowed down to... Uh, Sassafras Canoe, I've been looking on Chesapeake Lightcraft's website at the Sassafras Canoe. Uh, There's a 12, 14, and 16 foot version of that. And I'm leaning towards either the 12 or the 14 foot version. Actually, what I'm planning on doing if I go with that boat is I'll buy the book called The Canoe Shop and build it from the book. The other boat I'm looking at is a Gem Watercraft boat. You can go to gemwatercraft.com, and it's a solo tripping canoe that weighs 33 to 43 pounds, 14 feet long and 30 inches wide. Nice looking boat. So I'm, I'm looking at those two boats, and I'll probably pull the trigger here in the next week or two. So I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't gotten my hands dirty in the shop for a while. My last boat was a 12-foot skin-on-frame kayak. It was kind of an experimental boat. I wanted something real light and easy, and that's what I got, but I also got a boat that's really too small for me, uh, and it uh, has almost no initial stability, and secondary stability is probably worse, <laughs> so it's a challenge to keep upright. It's a pretty boat, though, but uh, not real functional for me, my size, and so on. So I'm looking forward to the next build here. Last week, I kind of threw out a question about uh, Akumi Marine Plywood, uh, mentioning that you can buy the plywood that's certified to the British Standard 1088, but you can also buy the import or Chinese product that is not certified, but it's supposed to be built to the same standard. So I've actually talked to a few people about that. I talked to uh, Kiwi at Edensaw Woods in Port Townsend last week when I was there. And his experience has been that the Chinese product costs half as much and performs just as well as the British Standard 1088 product. And yeah, he's said they've had really good success with the, uh, with the Chinese product. So that's probably the way I'm going to go uh, on my boat to save some money. Also, last week, I was interviewed by, uh, over the phone or over Skype, I was interviewed by the podcast answer man, Cliff Ravenscraft. Cliff is a gentleman that I took the podcasting class from back in September to learn how to get my website set up and do podcasting. Really great guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit, and he interviewed me because he's very He's been kind of been following my story and really excited about the progress I'm making with my podcast and the number of listeners that I have and the fact that it's a very niche or niche, if you will, 
topic that I'm doing and uh, the fact that five years from now, I'd like to have a decent income from it. So he's been following my story. So he interviewed me last week for his show. If you'd like to listen to that, it's about 20 minutes long or so. You can go to the podcastanswerman.com and look for episode number 239. And about 15 or 20 minutes into that episode, uh, he plays that interview. So it was a lot of fun doing it. Cliff's a great guy. Thanks, Cliff, if you're listening. I appreciate it. Well, uh, I think we're going to move on to the interview here with Larry Cheek. Uh, again, Larry's a journalist and an author and a boat builder. He's got a, got a cool story. He's got a book. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started on the interview. So take it away, Larry. Today is December 2nd, and I'm sitting in a beautiful little uh, 20-foot sailboat, a Sam Devlin design, with the builder of the boat, uh, Larry Cheek. Larry, welcome to our show today. Thanks, Dan. Good to have you here. Thanks for, uh, for having me up. Um, I was scheduled to do an interview on Whidbey Island with another gentleman, and I uh, found Larry on the internet and found out that he's built some boats and done some pretty cool things. So, uh, Larry, tell us about yourself. Where are you from and what's your background and so on? I come from a place where nobody thinks about boats. Absolutely nobody. El Paso, Texas. I'm not sure I'd ever even seen a boat until I was 18 (laughs) years old. But uh, uh, then I spent most of my uh, adult life after leaving El Paso in Tucson, Arizona. And there are some boats in Tucson, but you, you have to drive a minimum of 100 miles to get to a, a man-made lake in the desert before you can use that boat. So still wasn't a, a very big uh, thing on my horizon. But then after uh, my wife and I moved to the Seattle area in 1996, we almost immediately got into kayaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, not building yet. We bought a couple of uh, good factory made fiberglass uh, kayaks, took several courses, um, began leading kayak trips. I mean, we really we really got into it. And um, then in, in uh, 2002, I'd, I actually had a magazine assignment to uh, write about the wooden boat festivals up here in the Northwest, okay. both Port Townsend and uh, Lake Union. So I went to both those festivals and I just I, I really got seduced by the artistry, the beauty of the boats, and by the the uh, uh, people themselves who were building both boats, both the amateurs and professionals. So I decided then to, well, I wanted I wanted another kayak. I only had two. I mean, that's certainly not enough. So uh, uh, started looking around at kayak kits. Settled on a uh, Pygmy Arctic Turn 14 and uh, built that as my first boat, which, by the way, I think is a, an excellent entree into boat building of any kind, whatever your end objective is, to start with a, a kit for a kayak, canoe, or a, a small rowboat of some kind. Mm-hmm. And that gives you a um, kind of a foundation of some of the techniques you'll use for any kind of um, wood fiberglass composite boat. And uh, also gives you a good idea whether you whether you like doing it or not. Whether you have the temperament, the patience, the uh, eye for detail. Mm-hmm. So that was my entree, and it turned out to be uh, uh, a life changing experience. 
Okay. So you're an author and a journalist by trade, by vocation. Is that right? That's right. I've been doing that for years. I have a journalism degree, and I spent the first 17 years of my working life uh, working for daily newspapers. I've been a uh, freelance writer ever since then. The last that's the last 25 years writing for magazines, other newspapers as a freelancer and uh, teaching mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, who were you working for when they asked you to cover the wooden boat festivals? That was an assignment for Sunset Magazine. Sunset Magazine. What year was that, approximately? It was, so oh, I think, 2001. Okay. All right. So you covered those festivals, and you really got uh, fell in love with the wooden boat community at that time and started to connect, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I just w- went to both festivals, um, wandered around and through and on top of the boats and interviewed a bunch of uh, boat builders, and I just found them. They, they had interesting stories. They had interesting philosophies. The issue of perfectionism raised its ugly head. I didn't. I didn't yet at that at that point understand what an issue it would become for me, since I, I was at that time a perfectionist. I am now a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> if you are a practicing perfectionist and you're building a wooden boat, you will never finish the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can testify to that. Um, so when you uh, first came to Seattle, you got into kayaking. So I'm just curious how you how did you get into kayaking? Because you hadn't been around boats at all, right? My wife and I—it uh, was our, our actually our first weekend out of town. We uh, took the ferry over to Orcas Island just to um, because we'd never we'd never been to the San Juans, having just moved here from Arizona. And we were walking around the town of East Sound, and here's one of those boards on the sidewalk that said, uh, "Sea kayak tours, no experience necessary." And we looked at each other and we just said, "Well, why not?" So, thirty minutes into that, we literally knew we had we were into something we were going to be doing the rest of our lives. Really, it was that that transformational. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so you bought some production boats, and then you went and built a kayak. So, yeah. so tell me about that first kayak you built. What? Uh, where did you get the kit? How long did it take? Uh, you still have the boat, I think, here in the right. shops. It's over there on that wall, and I, st- yeah, <laughs> I still use it. One. I absolutely love that boat. Um, that's the 14-foot uh, Arctic Turn by uh, uh, Pygmy Kayaks. Um, I kind of wish I'm almost tempted to build another one now because I know so much more about boat building, and I could do a better job yeah. of building it. Yeah. Uh, but the the essential design of the boat is just wonderful. I've paddled probably. 75 different kayaks by different really? manufacturers, and I would not trade that for any one of them. That yeah. is just a magnificent boat. feels like an extension of my body. Wow. Oh, but uh, let's see. I spent about, I think, about three months building it. Um, it seemed difficult at the time because I was really stretching my abilities. I'd, I had not done much woodworking before. Um, certainly never built a boat before. Um, never done any fiberglassing before. Like most kayak wooden kayaks, it's a, uh, uh, made of okume plywood with a fiberglass skin. And probably the fiberglassing is the most difficult uh, 
part of building one of these kayak kits. And, you know, I, I did a, a structurally sound but aesthetically sloppy job of it. Mm-hmm. And I could do it a lot better now. So yeah. I'm almost tempted to give that boat away and just buy another one, and another kit, or, or design a kayak myself and uh, go at it again. How Except much does I, that boat weigh? 30, about 36 or 37 pounds. Oh, that's pounds. nice. So that's very light, easy to put on top of a car and carry yeah, around. Yeah, that's, that's one of the nice things. I can, I can, I'm a small guy, but uh, I can easily put that boat up on top of the car by myself if I want to go out alone. Yeah. So that was a stitch and glue design? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you built that. What year did you build that, Larry? 2002. Okay. So then what, what did you build next? Um, almost immediately after I finished that, I was really hooked. Uh, so I went over to the Northwest School of Wooden Boat. I like building. that word "hooked." By the way, yeah, <laughs> right. By looking at my website, that has a sor- certain correspondence <laughs> with your uh, your website. But I, it it does hook you. Yeah, no yeah. question about it. Yeah. So I signed up for a ten day uh, wood strip kayak building course at the Northwest School for Wooden Boat Building. With Joe Greenlee. Which is uh, Port Hadlock, Washington. Port Hadlock. Over by Port Townsend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Port Hadlock. And went over there and took that. Uh, there were six of us in the class. We built, we completed this boat here you see on this other wall beside us. Yeah. Uh, we finished about two-thirds of it in those ten days under Joe Greenlee's expert uh, uh, tutoring. And at the end of the ten days... Um, he cut six uh, little wood strips of different lengths and held them in his hand, and we drew it. We drew the straws, and I won the not yet completed boat. You're kidding! So I took it home and finished it. <laughs> cool. And then gave it to my wife. Wow. And she sold her uh, factory kayak. Yeah. So tell me about the construction of that boat. This is uh, a wood strip construction. It's mm-hmm. made of. Uh, uh, red cedar and Alaskan yellow cedar um, uh, strips that are three sixteenths of an inch thick, and uh, I think they're seven eighths of an inch wide. Built around uh, uh, temporary framework of bulk bulkheads mm-hmm. to give it the shape. Mm-hmm. Then after the you have all the strips uh, glued together, you take out the temporary framework Mm -hmm. and fiberglass the inside and outside. Mm -hmm. It's what's called a monocoque construction Mm -hmm. so that it depends. The stressed skin of the boat itself uh, provides all the structure it needs. It's like an airplane fuselage. So what you have is a a composite cedar and uh, fiberglass boat that's very light. That's a 16-foot boat and it weighs uh, 42 pounds. Mm Um, very light and extremely strong. Uh, you can certainly you can certainly batter it and bash it on a beach, as we have. We don't we don't baby either of these wooden kayaks, but um, you couldn't break that boat any any easier than you could a solid uh, fiberglass boat, which would weigh in twenty pounds more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I'm a great fan of. Uh, so essentially, it's long strips of cedar that are glued together on edge. Is it a coven bead? Yes, coven uh, bead yeah. construction. Coven bead construction. So they're glued together to form the shape of the hole. When they're all done, it's basically a mono hole 
Yeah, and the deck too really is part of the hull. Same, isn't it? yeah. It says it's built just the like same an way. aircraft fuselage. Yeah. It's incredibly strong. Cool, very pretty boat. Well, congratulations on winning that in your class. <laughs> that's that's pretty sweet. I don't know how the other five guys felt after that, but <laughs> beautiful boat. So, what year did you finish that? Uh, I think that was 2003, the next year after the Pygmy that I built that. Okay, all right. So then, uh, so that was your second boat. So then you moved on to your third boat. So tell me how you, how that happened and what that boat was. Well, about this time, we were starting to get into sailing. Uh, Patty and I had noticed that sometimes the wind blows, which is when you're in a kayak, is just kind of an annoyance because the wind never blows the direction you want to go. It's always blowing at you. So uh, we, were, we decided we wanted to try sailing. We took a, an introductory course from the uh, Center for Wooden Boats on Lake Union. If you learn to, Lake Union is a great place to learn to sail because the wind is always changing oh. from the, because the, of all the hills and buildings around the lake. So every, <laughs> every 15 seconds you're adjusting the set of your sails or, or attacking or doing something. So we took that course and then we signed up for the uh, U.S. sailing curriculum. Uh, taught by Windworks, which is a you know pretty rigorous curriculum, and some people can complete the whole thing in in uh, a couple of months. It took us three years, but wow. <laughs> but during that time anyway, we decided. Well, of course, we need our own boat. Let me just ask you real quick: Windworks are they kind of is that a national chain or is that a local Seattle-based company? That... It's a Seattle company that's. Okay. Uh, it's a charter uh, boat charter outfit. It's a sailing school, and it's a uh, brokerage okay. for sailboats, cool. all three in one. Good. And Good. they, uh, just to put in a plug, I, I have no stock in the company, but yeah. I think uh, uh, they just do an excellent job with instruction. Cool. It's very professional, very consistent. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap, but you, you learn the ropes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you went through that course. Yeah. And I wanted to build a day sailor first. Um, I don't think it's a good... Unless you really have a lot of confidence and skills, you shouldn't start out with a cruising sailboat like this one we're sitting on now that has all the complications of a cabin, uh, a lot of structure, a lot of weight, ballast, uh, an electrical system, all these complications. No, much easier. (laughs) If you have modest skills like I did, very modest skills. You're much better to start off with a simple day sailor. So I uh, I first looked around at kits, and yeah, there were several kits out there that would... They kind of fit what I wanted to have mm-hmm. as a uh, day sailor. And I decided, no, I don't want to build a kit because I know I can build a kit. I'm the kind of person who I I just I thrive on challenges. I, I need to keep challenging myself. Mm-hmm. I've done this all my life to do something I don't know. I don't know if I can do. So I decided, okay, I'm going to build a boat from scratch. And the uh, boat I chose, the design I chose, was Sam Devlin's Zephyr. It's a 13 and a half foot um, sailing dinghy based on the uh, melon seed designs from uh, uh, the East Coast back around the 
1880, 1870s, 1880s. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, with modern construction, again, it's stitch and glue, plywood, epoxy, composite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I spent a year and a half <clears throat> building that boat. Um, I so you bought the plans from Sam? Right. And then you had to do, did, did that require any lofting? Or was everything, uh, not, you just had to draw it out full size on your... Yeah, it's not it's not lofting in the traditional uh, sense that you have to do with a Carvel planked boat, mm-hmm. but you don't have you don't have a full scale uh, template either. Yeah, what you have to do is scale up the uh, <clears throat> your pieces from the uh, plans. Yeah, okay. Which is you know it's not too difficult. Yeah, but I did run into a lot of difficulties building mm-hmm. that boat. It was. It was one of the hardest things I've done in my life. Really? Even though it's a relatively simple boat. Yeah. And I write about all this in my book, The Year of the Boat. Yeah. Uh, it. I had to face a lot of, you know, not only uh, issues of acquiring craft, craft skills that I didn't have yet, but I had to, I had to face a lot of uh, personal demons. My prime character defect is impatience. Um. I was still in the throes of perfectionism. Um, I had a lot of self-doubt. And you can read all about all of this in the book, and I think the lessons in there apply to all kinds of things, not just building boats. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I faced all of those, and the boat... The boat's name is Far From Perfect, and it is oh, indeed... It is indeed Far From Perfect. <laughs> but it does what boats do. It floats and it sails. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot and acquired both confidence and uh, skills, some of the skills I needed to take on this next boat, the one we're now sitting in, mm-hmm. the uh, 18-foot, 8-inch uh, Devlin Winter Wren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to back up just a little bit here, did, did uh, before you built your first boat, had you done any woodworking at all? I'd done some straight line woodworking. Okay. I'd built a, a few speaker cabinets oh. and uh, um, a bookcase or two. Yeah. Uh, very simple stuff. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. I didn't have any decent tools. Yeah. Um, I had. I, I had. I had had nothing more elaborate than a, a power drill and a skill saw mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I. I really had to. Uh, the only more serious tool I built, I bought for that first boat, the uh, uh, Versail boat, the day sailor, was uh, the bandsaw. Because I had I'd read up on tools and a lot of people had said, well, if you only have one stationary tool in your shop for boat building, it should be a bandsaw. I see. And so yeah. I'm glad I, glad I did that. Yeah. It's true. You Definitely. do need... You yeah. do need a bandsaw. Yeah, yeah. And that was that proved to be enough for uh, building that first boat. Yeah. When we moved over here to Whidbey Island, uh, um, I had a little, a very small inheritance from my dad, and I put five thousand dollars into uh, uh, some good tools. Okay. The, nice. The uh, <clears throat> table saw you see there, the drill press. The, um, the uh, Festool router, the really nice uh, Festool multiple mode sander, 
so forth. Cool. I have I have almost everything I I need. Yeah, to be right. Everything except the skills. <laughs> well, you're learning those, right? Yeah. Well, I'm a great believer in buying tools that are better than you are. Yeah. Because they give you something to grow into, they challenge you. Yeah. And uh, uh, they 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 demand a lot of you. Mm-hmm. If I'm uh, uh, I have this wonderful uh, Lee Nielsen plane now that my oh, wife got me wow. for last Christmas. And that plane is still way better than I am. Yeah. And I'm constantly aware of that. And I, I feel the need to live up to it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are beautiful planes. So instead of struggling with a, a crummy tool, yeah. I'm, it's sort of like the tool is struggling with me. And it's, it's allowing me to use it while I, mm-hmm. while I get better. Right. And that's yeah. that's a good feeling. Definitely. So you finished the day sailor, the 13-foot day sailor, and uh, what year was that, Larry? 2007. Seven. Okay. So you're an author, so you decided to write a book about it. So how did you decide to do that? Well, I, I'm always looking for things to write about. Mm-hmm. I had never written a book about anything involving my own life before. I'd written books on archaeology mm-hmm. and architecture and travel and nature. Uh, but uh, I was I was never a part of those books. I was just the you know the narrator or the chronicler, the guy who gathered the information and tried to make sense of it. So I decided to write this book about something I was doing myself. I see. And I actually wrote the book in real time along with the boat. Oh wow! The boat. Okay. So uh, so give me a synopsis of the book if you could. <clears throat> Well, I like to think that it's not so much a book about building a boat, although the, some of the technical stuff of the process of building is in there, certainly, and it's kind of a continuous narrative from beginning to end. But it's more about so the story of uh, personal growth and meeting the challenges of doing something that you're not really prepared to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and it's called The Year of the Boat. Year of the Boat, published yep. by Sasquatch Books in 2008. Okay. Available so, at your friendly local bookstore. Okay. And available online, too, at Amazon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners, and that was published in 2009? 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Very good. Yeah. I'm now working on another book that oh, really? kind of uh, grows out of the uh, boat building experience, but it's not literally about building boats. It's about uh, the values and character in the working life. Hmm. So it deals in greater depth with some of these issues like perfectionism and character. Uh, I think building a boat is a great test and shaper of personal character. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, I'll share a little story with you where you you see this combing that we're uh, <clears throat> sailboat combing that we're sitting against we're here. Sitting, it's forming yeah. a backrest for yeah. us. Um, one of the things you discover when you build a boat is that you have to keep keep rewarding yourself from time to time with little accomplishments. You know, making making something happen on the boat that's visually rewarding, so you can say, "Ah, I, I did that. It looks more like a boat now." Mm-hmm. Well, it was one of those days. I, I was working on the combing. I had the I didn't have any other pressing work that day, income-producing work. So I think I'm going to finish the combing today, get it all 
shaped, installed, trimmed everything. So, you know, a good eight or nine hours worth of work. I really wanted that as a reward. And uh, about two-thirds of the way through this day, I realized that if I went ahead and screwed and epoxied the combing in, which I was just about ready to do, there were a couple of areas behind the combing on the backside that I hadn't yet coated with epoxy to mm. waterproof them. Mm -hmm. So I've got a decision. Is it... Um, um, <clears throat> this is way above the water line. It's probably protected from splash and rain. Is it ever going to get wet? Is, could it be subject to rot? Yeah, probably not. And yet there was something that was nagging at me. Mm -hmm. This... This is just not right. And I realized, okay, if I don't finish this today, if I don't if I stop and epoxy this, I'm gonna have to wait a day for the epoxy to cure. I can't finish my combing today. <laughs> so I actually did kind of agonize over that decision and then I decided, okay, you're gonna do the right thing. You're going to delay gratification and waterproof the backside of the combing. So I did. And what I came out of that understanding was that um, character is like a muscle. You know, doing the right thing, even when nobody's watching, when it probably doesn't make any difference, doing the right thing um, prepares you for that time when you have to expend a whole lot of character to do the right thing in a big way, mm -hmm. where it's, uh, it's going to be difficult, where people are watching. Yeah. yeah. So that's an example, I think, of how boat building builds character. Yeah, I like uh, one that. Of, one of many. I like that examples. Yeah, because you you had to, you couldn't have the immediate gratification of completing what you wanted to complete, but you had you had the gratification of knowing that you had done it right. It took you longer, but you had done it the correct way. Plus, it's an episode in my new book. Is it okay? <laughs> So uh, so after you built the 13-footer, then you started building this boat. So tell me how you decided to build this boat and give me some of the gory details on this one. By this time, I had become uh, friends with Sam Devlin. I have just immense respect for his uh, uh, ability as a designer. I think he designs beautiful boats um, that also happen to sail or you know, do, boat, do their boat things very well. He also designs power boats and rowboats. Um, so I compared this with a lot of other um, cruising sailboats in this size class, you know, 18 to 20 feet, and I decided I really wanted to do this one. Mm -hmm. So uh, I bought the plans and uh, uh, have this pretty nice large garage here on Whidbey, which I hadn't had before. I built the earlier boat in a much smaller garage on the mainland. This garage is 26 by 27 feet, which is oh, wow. pretty substantial. Yeah. It's, it's never seen a car. It's nothing but a boat shop. Yeah, very <laughs> nice. So, uh, uh, <clears throat> I have, uh, it took three years to build it. About 3,500 hours. I'm slow. I'm really slow. Uh, part of that is, a great deal of that is just inefficiency. 
and not really not really knowing very well what I'm doing and having to do things over. <laughs> <laughs> most boat builder, most amateur boat builders will identify with that. Yeah, I can identify. Um, I am not a perfectionist anymore. You can start going through this boat and you'll quickly see all kinds of things that aren't perfect. Um, but it's pretty good. I think structurally it's very solid. It sails beautifully. Um, about three, about two thirds of the way through construction, we were we finally stumbled onto another boat of this design, the Winter Wren, over at uh, Port Townsend. A young boat builder had bought uh, an old Winter Wren that Sam had built in his shop back in the 1980s, and restored it. And we were able to sail this. Uh, this was in the 2010 Wooden Boat Festival, Port Townsend. He let us uh, sail with him for an afternoon, and I was so relieved because I loved the boat. Oh, nice! And I, I, so that was after you were into it a couple thousand hours. That's already. exactly. And I was <laughs> I was pretty wor- worried. You know, what if it's a pig? What if it What if it just sails like an utter pig? Yeah. You know. I don't know enough to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, of course, it didn't sail like a pig. It sailed it sailed just beautifully. Yeah. It was very responsive and and forgiving and sweet. And So tell me about the design of this boat. What is the design exactly? Or the style of boat? Well, I don't know that it has a style, except that, it, you know, it's, uh, it's traditional looking. Um very contemporary in the technology it uses being stitch and glue fiberglass wood composite um, but it it has a gaff rig which is a very traditional rig mm-hmm. and if you were to look at it from you know a hundred yards away out in the water uh, you could very easily take it for a boat that's 75 or 100 years old mm-hmm. it's only when you right. get up close and you start seeing how it's constructed that you say oh yeah well it's a modern boat mm-hmm. just just looks very traditional yeah so does this have a, a sleeping area down in the cabin yeah. yeah it's a it's a very simple cabin it has a but it has a berth that's uh, reasonably comfortable for two uh, adults yeah um it certainly doesn't have standing headroom. No, no decent, no boat this size does. It's got about forty-five inches of sitting headroom, mm-hmm. so you're comfortable enough sitting in there. Yeah. Um, what about uh, centerboard or keel on this boat? It's a it's a dagger board. Dagger board differs from a centerboard in yeah. that it drops straight down. Okay. So it's a weighted dagger board. Oh, really? Um, it has six hundred and fifty pounds of internal ballast. I built... Uh, this boat does? Yeah. Really? Lead ballast. I built uh, positive flotation into it, which is something that Sam... Uh, that is not on Sam's plans. Two reasons. One, I'm a chicken sailor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, uh, can't bear the thought of my 3,500 hours of work residing down at the bottom of Puget Sound. But two, you know... It, I think that with modern technology, it's just crazy to be building sailboats of any size that are automatically doomed if they uh, uh, 
if they get completely swamped yeah. and fill with water. Yeah. Because a ballasted sailboat, it, it, well, will, true. it will go down yeah. if it completely fills with water. Yeah. Why do we do this? The airbag technology that we routinely use in cars could be easily adapted to sailboats, and uh, that wouldn't happen. So I don't have the engineering skills to build airbags into this boat, but I did build uh, about 14 cubic feet of um, uh, foam and air flotation compartments into it. Cool. I had to sacrifice some of my uh, uh, storage space for it, but I think it's a decent trade-off. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like you say, if this thing got swamped, you don't want to see it to go to the bottom right. of Puget Sound. It'll it'll float just barely, but yeah. it'll. I, well, we haven't tested it, but I'm <laughs> I'm fairly confident of the math. Um, yeah. It also another change I made was uh, this boat has electric auxiliary power. Oh, really? Yeah, it has a twenty-four oh. volt. Um, uh, torpedo electric outboard, which is good for about two horsepower. Yeah, and two deep cycle marine batteries under the uh, berth there. Oh, the bilge. so how, how many? Uh, how much time can you get on those at a moderate <laughs> speed? According to the factory specs, um, I can get uh, a ten to twelve nautical miles of range out of that. If yeah. between recharging, if I have to. Okay. Have to go that far. So, do you believe the specs? Does that work? You think? Well, I haven't. Uh, I haven't yet uh, pushed it near that limit. Yeah. Uh, one of my projects for this winter is to install a uh, battery condition monitor that'll actually act like a fuel gauge. Oh. So that uh, then I'll be be more willing to trust it. Yeah. Right. So you mainly use that for getting in and out of the harbor right. and moorage and that sort of thing. Very cool. So, uh, any any thought of uh, onboard charging for that uh, solar charging or anything for that rig? Well, I'd thought about it, but the tr- trouble with solar charging is that uh, it just requires uh, it would require just a huge area of um, solar cells to uh, do any substantial recharging of two 100 amp amp hour batteries. Uh, people don't realize how how little output there is from our solar cells. They're only about twelve percent efficient oh, wow. at converting light into electricity. Yeah. So so that's not really practical. I really think I have to cover I'd the whole to, deck of your boat with solar cells. To well, yeah, and then the <laughs> sail would kind of shade the uh, yeah. the deck, and <laughs> well, it's hard to do on a sailboat. Yeah, yeah. powerboat it would make more sense on. Yeah. So uh, what would be your words of encouragement to people that are listening that are thinking about building a boat for the first time or in the middle of a project and maybe struggling or wondering what they, how they got into this mess? What would you say to them? Well, if you look over here on my wall, you see uh, several things I've put up here uh, to kind of encourage me. Um, one of them is... All great accomplishments are composed entirely of interlocking details. Very nice. So you have to have the perseverance to attack the details, but also a sense of how they all fit together to um, <clears throat> to eventually yield the great accomplishment. Yeah. Um, fear is a down payment of a debt you may not owe. <laughs> 
That was actually a Chinese fortune cookie, but I found it quoted in the New York, New York Times, so I figure if the New York Times quotes a for- fortune cookie, that gives it some credibility, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right. And I think that certainly applies to uh, um, uh, building a boat, because one of the biggest obstacles we have is fear. You know, can I do this? Can I do it right? Am I wasting my money? Yeah. Um, I think if you persevere, no, you're not. You're not. Wa- certainly not wasting your own time or, or money, and you can do it right. Even if, even if the time comes where you say, "I've done so much wrong, I have to throw this away and start over," then that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. you have to you have to have the courage to do that. Yeah, and uh, uh, one of my. Uh, favorites from the essayist Scott Russell Sanders, who's a, a friend and uh, a friend of mine, as we let's see, it's hard to read it from here as we run ourselves ragged by chasing after too many thrills and tasks so we may become centered and calm by remaining faithful to a few deep concerns very good, I love that and I had to I, I kind of read that to myself every time I came out here to work for three or four hours. Remain faithful to a few deep concerns because I felt that building this boat and building it right was a deep concern that uh, uh, was very much worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think wooden boats uh, it's not just a toy for me and my wife to enjoy. I think wooden boats enhance uh, uh, the beauty of life on earth mm-hmm. and there's something worth very much worth perpetuating mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely well I really appreciate you taking some time with me today Larry it's a beautiful book congratulations on seeing it through um, that's a three year project that's a long project but you made it through uh, and that's that's awesome thank uh, you could you give us your contact information, Larry, if people want to get a hold of you or look at your website? Uh, people can write me at uh, wetscape, W-E-T-S-C-A-P-E, at comcast.net. And my website, which has some of my writing and uh, a plug for the book, in fact, an excerpt, excerpt from the book, and the blog for this boat, which you can read for free. It's on my website, lawrencewcheek.com. Okay. And cheek is spelled just like it sounds, C-H-E-E-K. Right, like the side of your face. Yeah, okay. And so uh, last thing I'll ask here is if you have any parting comments for the listeners today. Don't be afraid. Okay, cool. All right, I I like that. Okay, thanks a lot, Larry, and we'll be in touch on talk soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Larry Cheek. Larry, thanks for doing that. It was a lot of fun to come up to your place and see your boats and have that conversation. And I will post Larry's contact information on the uh, hookedonwoodenboats.com website. So you can go there if you'd like to connect with Larry, go to his website, send him an email, give him a call, look at pictures of his boats, all that fun stuff. Folks, I just want to interject here that Larry's book, The Year of the Boat, is available through my website. If you go to hookedonwoodenboats.com forward slash resources, or you go to hookedonwoodenboats.com and click on the resources menu item at the top, 
That'll take you to a resource page with books, and on there is Larry's books. You can click the book there. It'll take you to Amazon, and you can purchase a book, and I would encourage you to do that. Thanks a lot. Back to our regular programming now. One thing I wanted to mention also, I just finished reading a book called Schooner, and Schooner was published in 2010. It's a story of the Gannon and Benjamin Boatyard in uh, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. It's a story of them building a 60-foot schooner there. Fascinating story. I've mentioned it before. I finished reading it. I would highly recommend the book. It's just got huge pictures in it, and it's just very interesting. You can learn a ton by reading it. And if you are going to purchase that book, if you'd like to go through my website, you can go to hookedonwoodenboats.com and go to the resource page. And on there, uh, you can purchase the book through Amazon. If you do that, I get paid a little bit, which helps a little bit. So anyway, I'd encourage you to do that. Or you can get it for free at your library, which is what I did. (laughs) Unless you want a copy of it to keep. Please call the listener hotline at 424-261-2360 with any questions or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my email list also uh, that I mentioned earlier. You can also email me at dan at hookedonwoodenboats.com. And I would love it if you would leave feedback on iTunes about my podcast. If you like it, give me a five-star review. That would be really cool. Uh, Just a reminder, next week I have an interview with Jake Beattie of the Northwest Maritime Center in Port Townsend, Washington. Jake's been there just about a year, and he's got some really interesting stories personally about his boating experiences over the years, including quite a bit of time on some tall ships and other things and uh, then he talks about the Northwest Maritime Center and the Wooden Boat Foundation and what they're up to which they've got some really cool stuff going on Uh, so please tune in again next week until then keep the bright side up and the barnacled side down this is Wooden Boat Dan over and out have a great week